0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 530, and the quote of the day is love challenges. Be intrigued by mistakes, enjoy effort, and keep learning. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on everybody? Nick Ruffini here. Episode 530. Thanks so much for tuning in. And this is a great episode. One that I have wanted to do for a while. This is with Jason McGurr from Death Cab for Cutie. And we talk a lot about the mindset. We talk a lot about the psychology of learning. And he shares a lot of, of road-tested and time-tested experiences that he has had throughout his career. And we have some book recommendations in there. There's, there's a ton of information in here for sure. And quickly, before we get into it, I want to let you know that I started another podcast called Uncut with Nick Ruffini. And what I'm doing is I'm interviewing creative entrepreneurs about the art of taking a idea that's in your head and getting it from your head. Into execution, so like that zero to one moment. So I've had Chase Jarvis, who's a world class photographer. I'd have Jeff. I've had Jeff Goins, who's a New York Times bestselling author. Lou Montulli, who is an early, who was an early internet pioneer, and now is a, a multiple time entrepreneur who has sold a bunch of companies, but he's also a drummer. So if you're interested in hearing some of that, you can just, you can find it anywhere. You can go to nickraffini.com and the podcast is on there or anywhere on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher and all that kind of stuff. And Because, you know, I talk some of that stuff here on the podcast, but this other podcast allows me to get a little deeper on the business side of things and not particularly boxed in with just drumming stuff. So I I didn't want to do too much of that here because I don't want to alienate you as a drummer. So if you're into that other stuff, check it out. Just go to nickrafini.com or just Google uncut with Nick Rafini. And let's get into it. This is Jason McGurr. And again, a great conversation Enjoy. Jason, what's happening, man? Thanks so much for being here.
1: Ah, uh, good stuff, Nick. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. See how I go for?
0: <laughs> I go from like, uh, I all of a sudden I turn into professional conversation or interviewer guy. I, well, I don't know. I know it
1: was ra- that was rad. You kind of caught me <laughs> off guard. Like I was. Suddenly, on the radio, here we are live.
0: <laughs> Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, so we we were talking a little bit off-air um, about. So you live you live in northern Northern Washington, but I was thinking. But are you? Were you? Did you grow up in Seattle, or did were you always in Bellingham?
1: I grew up in Bellingham, Got Washington, you. tiny little town, it was about 100 miles north of Seattle, and uh, I had a lot of family in Seattle, cousins. My Both my mom and dad had like five siblings each, all with families and kids. And so we were in Seattle all the time. Got you. Seattle's always been my second home. I've even lived there quite a bit over the years. But Bellingham was the first uh, 19 years of my life. And I am back here now uh, with uh, my wife and two kids and back in the family zone. And it's, uh, you know, Bellingham, if you look on the Wikipedia page, says, City of Subdued Excitement. <laughs> And that's, that couldn't be (laughs) truer. Um, It's very mellow Uh up here. Uh, No traffic, no smog, no, no wait times. Um, I'm 10 minutes from downtown, 10 minutes from the airport. Uh, Everything's close, but uh, that only, you know, means so much quality and so many amenities and so many good restaurants and so many musicians and a lot of trees, a lot of water, a lot of mountains. It's a great place to be and Mm -hmm. detach, but in terms of making music with people, it's a a little bit of a an island in the middle of the ocean.
0: Do you, if you weren't, if you weren't in Death Cap for Cutie, do you think that you would be able to sustain a career being there?
1: No, no, no. the The only other drummer I know that's here is Tim Herb Alexander. and uh, his wife moved up here for work and, you know, he came with and they set up shop and they've got a- kids as well. And it makes sense for, I think, people that don't have to rely on their community for work or right. income. Uh, it's a great place to be, but I would probably be in Nashville or L.A. or somewhere else where I could work on a regular basis. Otherwise, it just costs a lot of money to be taking flights.
0: Mm-hmm. To and but you have a studio there, um,
1: too, that you work at. I of. mean, I have... Have a great studio. I, I mean, before, you know, we got on the, the call, I was working on a track for somebody who lives in Nashville and um, I have everything I need here uh, in terms of a good sized room. And uh, it's a full blown studio. I used to own a commercial studio and, and uh, when I closed it down, I, I, I kind of sold it off and, and mined a bunch of stuff and brought it home. So, I mean, I, I could record a full band here. It's a great space to work with one or two people at a time but more importantly it's just mm-hmm. my office It's always set up i come downstairs i turn on my computer i hit record everything's mic'd up armed ready to go all the time so i'm, I'm never wasting you know a moment setting up or tearing down and uh i like i said it it's great for working remotely for people and sending them tracks. The beauty
0: of it is once you, once you establish yourself as an artist, I think it's, you know, it's a lot different than it was in, in say the nineties where you had to be in LA or Nashville or New York or Miami or something like that. But now the challenge well, is you have to get, you have to establish yourself first. If you want to live, you know, where you live, or if you want to live in, you know, rural Pennsylvania or anywhere else, uh, that I guess that's the challenge now, right? Is like getting established first. So you have to, do you feel like if someone wants to get established, they need to move to a major city or they need to get in, you know, easier said than done, but get in a, in a successful band and then they can sort of take their, take their career whichever way they want to.
1: Well, you know, there's two things. There's, I mean, in order to be successful as a musician, the number one thing is you got to be able to work well with people. And, You could say that there's working well with people in the same room and there's working well with people remotely. And I would say that working well with people in the same room is more beneficial for being a musician for obvious reasons. But being able to work well with people remotely boils down to like how quickly you respond, you know, how like the quality of your tracks. If someone, you know, somebody sent me an email and they said, said, Hey, I would love for you to send me some beats at uh, 162 and 90. And there wasn't much more reference than that. So in order to be successful, it's more about how quickly I can turn around something that sounds good and get it back mm-hmm. to that person. That's what's gonna. I mean, it's the equivalent of being the one take wonder. So if you take it back to the you know pre computers and everybody being in the same room in the studio, um, the the musicians that constantly got hired were the ones that rolled up, sat down, played a part. They were done and they left and they went to the next session or next tune or whatever. That's how you build your reputation. And I think that being a you know, if you're going to be somebody that tracks at home, you need to have that same kind of mentality. Um, the hard part is that without being in the room with somebody, it's you're kind of taking guesses, wild guesses a lot of the time on what is really going to make somebody mm-hmm. happy when it comes to adding drums to their song. So uh, sometimes the happy surprise works, and sometimes, like who knows, I might have been a snare drum choice away from getting the job like to do more songs or maybe I pushed my room mic up more than I needed to. And really what somebody was looking for was a drier drum sound, something more contemporary. And I, we just didn't, we weren't able to communicate that face to face because we weren't sitting in a control room or on a couch or wherever, you know, we weren't in the same room or really what it boils down to is watching somebody's physical reaction to what you play. I mean, the worst case scenario of that is if you're in a studio with somebody and you're playing, and you see behind the glass, the engineer, the producer, the rest of the band start having a conversation, you know, and turn around and like, you're, you feel like you, you're really laying it down and like the room full of people that are supposed to be listening aren't moving their heads or having a physical reaction. <laughs> They're having a conversation and going to get a cup of coffee. So that, that's the kind of thing where if I was in that situation, I would just stop and be like, yo, what's going right. on? Am I missing something Obviously, here? Either the right. Yeah, the sounds aren't right, the feel's not right, what do we got to do to get there? And so when you're working on your own, um, you just you don't know, you don't have that feedback, right? Um, visual or audio, you know, and that can lead to very long days of, you know, no results. So it is really tricky, I think, to be someone that works remotely, um, unless you're doing video stuff back and forth. I mean, there's ways you could do it to, to expedite mm-hmm. the process, but... It's, it's still a new game for me, and largely because most people don't call the drummer in Death Cab to play on their songs. You know you, you, you think if I said, "Hey, Nick, you know what? I, I understand you're a great uh, songwriter, and you should, I think you should send those tracks to Chad Smith, you know, or Mark Giuliani, and I think that you should get them to play on it. You'd be like, "Are you crazy?" Like I'm not sure how to even go about right, that process right. I Mean you might you might know somebody, but the first example being Chad Smith, you know, like people just don't cold call guys in bands in career bands and say, Hey, I'd love to work with you. That's and
2: interesting.
0: This. You're sort of like so a lot of your success is almost is almost hindering your success on the on the remote side a little bit, right?
1: <laughs> Thanks for putting it that way. I think you're done. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I no, you're right. I didn't mean that in a, I mean, in, a in a
0: derogatory it way. It's just interesting. No, that no like... I'm
1: joking. <laughs> I'm joking. And I think that's put brilliantly. Because it, it is kinda true. because um, if all of a sudden, you know, I'm I'm just gonna shoot for the moon here. If a Ringo Starr, you know had an Instagram account, which I doubt he does, and said and made a post and said, Hey everybody, uh I'd love to play on your track. Right. Here's my <laughs> info. Um please DM me, you know, like I'm home for a bit. Uh, let's mm-hmm. work together. <laughs> right? Like it, people would be like, what? What's up with Ringo? Like, what's going on? Does he, does he need money? Like what's,
2: <laughs> yeah. you know,
1: I mean, it, it's just hard to, hard to, to, I guess, position yourself to be available to everybody, especially because sometimes a bit of a filter process is mm-hmm. necessary. Um, uh, but, to To let the world know that, like I, you know, I do, I do more than just my band, and one way to do it, obviously, is there are people that that work all the time. Like well, I have a bandmate, um, Zach Ray, who's uh, who's so happy he's in the band now. He plays keys and guitar, and all kinds of sounds come out of his world. But he was a session guy in L.A. Um, and has been and still is since he was a young kid. He ended up cutting his teeth with. Alanis Morissette when he was really young, like maybe 19, and he's always been based in L.A., so circling back around your earlier question of, do you feel like you need to be in a place, or would I need to be in a place other than Bellingham? Zach is a perfect example of someone that, that trucks in both worlds. He gets called all the time because of his tenure in L.A. as a session musician, but he also gets to be a band. Got you. Got you.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people who are in similar situations where they play in a career band. They're, you know, they're well known for being in that band. And like you said, no one would think, oh, I should just, I should call Jason to see if he would, he would play on, on my record. And I've said this a lot, excuse me, on the podcast that most people that you want to work with are hireable. Like you can hire most, I mean, you might not be able to get Sting to play bass on your record, right? Or you may right. like if you have enough money. I'm sure that you know if 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 you have right. enough money, play I'm sure right. Sting will play on your record. But I've always said like you know if you if you want if you want people to play on your record or if you want to play live with people or whatever, then just hire them. Most musicians are are willing to get hired for for the right amount of money. Like you could probably get Chad Smith to play drums in your bar band if you paid him enough money. <laughs> you know,
1: probably. And it it really, I mean, the lesson here is like. You just got to right. ask never hurts to ask to reach out. And I mean, I'll, I'll admit I've been guilty of getting things. In my inbox that are, um, just fishy or not seem, seem really like desperate's not the right word, but just, just not the right fit. And, uh, if I have time to respond with a, I'm, I'm busy. Um, I do. And sometimes I let things hang, but, uh, for the most part, if someone reaches out to me and you know, obviously in this day and age, you can do all the research you want. You know, you can look at somebody's profile, you can listen on the SoundCloud, you can discover how legit or how basically how hard they're working. Because I'm not gonna put out my effort to, you know, take time out of my day to be a professional for somebody else if they're not a professional themselves. Right. That being said, there are some really amazing young kids I've had a chance to work with that are doing something that I believe could be, it could have massive potential. And I, I always make time for great, great music or great songwriting.
0: I remember having a conversation with, uh, with Jojo Mayer. And he was saying that he found that a lot of people were calling him to get drum lessons. And when they would get there, he would start going through the material and, you know, they would start asking questions and he was like, you know, this is all in my DVD. So, (laughs) So it turns out that a lot of people were just getting drum lessons just because they wanted to meet him.
1: Well, and that has happened. That's what I was thinking, like, Um, do you ever
0: run into that where I'm sure there has to be some sort of some sort of uh, like filtering process where you're like, are you a fan or are you a fan of me, me playing drums and you actually want me to play on your record? Yeah,
1: and look, I'm 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 happy to give back to the fans i mean i wouldn't be in the position i'm in if people didn't buy records and buy tickets and, and come to shows so it's sort of like to me i view those lessons as a meet and greet mm-hmm. but that you know someone has paid for them and if that's what they want um and they get something out of that then great i mean when i was a young player i remember going to see jeff hamilton mm-hmm. and the guy blew my mind you know because i had no idea what rebound was or how to play a burning ride pattern. And he played this community college and, uh, it, it like locally. And I went and watched him and I, afterwards I approached him and he took the time to show me what he was doing on the ride symbol. And I was, I became an Insta fan, right? Right then and there, just seeing this. Cause I think I was at the, was one of those things where I went with a high school for a jazz band competition. And he was the, you know, special guest or his band. And, uh, If he hadn't taken that time, I don't think I ever would have, you know, that was one of those aha moments where I was like, huh, rebound, like letting the stick do the work for you. So um, I don't know how I came across as a kid, but if these people that are fans of the band, well, first off, they have to be drummers. You know, I'm not I'm not going to I mean, I could give a drum lesson to a guitar player. (laughs) I mean, that has happened. People have people reached out, say, hey, I'm in this band. I want some advice. You know, how can I diversify my my presence in the world in order to be successful session musician or uh in, how can my band get more gigs or how do we sign to labels? I mean, I got a question today. Hey, how do I do you do you know anyone that can help me uh find distribution through, you know, placement on Spotify and Amazon music and this and that? and there's a lot of business questions that people will want to ask because I'm in a mm-hmm. career band. But I I let them know from the very beginning, like, look, I I wish I could help you with those answers, but that's that's not really my expertise. Sure, I know a little, but if you want to talk about approach to the drum set technique and independence and, uh, you know, sounds design and recording and this and that, like, great. Right, I'm your guy. It. And if the <laughs> lesson goes, yeah, if the lesson goes more than... Once, you know, if you just wanted to come in for a photo and to meet me and to learn how to play your favorite Death Cab song, we could do that once. But if you're going to come in again um, or, you know, do a Skype or video lesson again online, then I want you to know that I'm going to throw some stuff at you that I'm going to expect you to work on. If you don't work on it, then I'm going to recommend somebody right. else because I'm I'm only interested in making sure that you are, are becoming mm-hmm. a better drummer, not not just hanging out. Yeah.
0: And it's, I mean, at some point it, or very quickly it becomes a waste of everyone's time. And then, then you're in a situation where you're like, I'm just taking your money, which I don't want to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And that, and that feels weird. And I don't want to carve out an hour of my day to to spend time with somebody if they're not enthusiastic and, and making mm -hmm. gains, you Mm know, Um, but it's not fair to me. It's not fair to them. So, um, and that's, I'm more than happy to give that speech. If I feel that after a few lessons, like, look, great person, great player doing everything right. Except that I, you know, I don't know if, if you really want to be doing this right now. So just think about it. Mm-hmm. Let me know.
0: I mean, that's a lesson to teachers out there too. Well, teachers and students that if one, if you're going to be a student, be ready to learn and be ready to work. And if you're going to be a teacher, that you're not there to babysit, you're there to i always i I've always heard that you know as a teacher that your goal should be to make the person you're teaching be better than you and and like sure. what who who wants to be in a situation where you know you're you're as a teacher, you feel like you're just babysitting and collecting money, and as a student, you're just going in and just kind of shooting the shit for an hour and and I remember in college I went into a lesson and was not prepared and kept interjecting and putting my thoughts in there. And he was like, leave, come back when you're ready to learn.
1: Like, were those your nervous excuses? Uh, was that the root of those interjections? Prob- yeah,
0: probably. It was like
1: your, un- your unpreparedness, unpreparedness ego, you know? Um, you know? Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, all that's evident. And I think that it's, it's every teacher's duty to like, let the student know, <laughs> you know, to be like, look, you're, you're not prepared. Mm-hmm. So why don't you work on it and check in with me next right. week? I mean, I, and two, I believe that the goal of every student or every, yeah, every student should be to graduate. Like I, I have taken a lot of students on over the years and, um, brought them to a point, And sometimes that's four weeks. Sometimes that's six years. I brought them to a, sometimes that's two lessons, one lesson. I brought them to a point where it's like, you know what? You're smart enough to take what I've given you and teach yourself. You know, for as long right. as you want, as long as this inspires you, uh, I want you to go for it, and then check back in in six mm-hmm. months. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it would be redundant, right? It's like if you go to the gym, if anyone goes to the gym and exercises, you don't do the same lifts year after year after year. You, you know, you, you. Challenge your muscles in different ways. So I think challenging your playing with different teachers is good. I still take lessons. I still sit down and study with people. I, I do everything I can to improve my playing. And, you know, to borrow a great term from my good friend, Dave Eulich, like he talks about blind spots. And we all mm-hmm. have them. And, you know, our bandmates are great for recognizing and calling out those blind spots. Sessions are great. Students are great. You know, I've had great, amazing professional players contact me and say they want a lesson. I'm like, uh, all right, not sure what that means or what you're after because you sound great and you're in a fantastic position. But if you're unhappy with something, then let's talk about it. And then, you know, we'll go over an exercise or something and maybe find a blind spot or something that really challenges them. And there are two things happen. One, they get excited and they work on it and overcome that challenge and experience personal growth or. They say they're going to work on it, and I never right. hear back. And it's just—it was—it was a moment in time where they were clearly having a bad day or a hard time on tour, and they gave it a shot, and they realized that they didn't want to put in the time mm-hmm. anyway. And they probably look around and say, "Well, I got this great gig. I don't know why I need to do this stuff. It's uncomfortable, right. so I'm just going to let it slip away."
0: Yeah, I mean, that isn't that the uh, isn't that the ultimate thing though? Is to keep getting better. You know, you always want to you always want to get better, and it and and I, for me, like when I was younger, I felt like I could make I could make monumental improvements in short amounts of time. But once you get to be playing for as long as I have and as long as you have, you know, there's like you're fine tuning everything, and that shit is
1: hard, man.
0: <laughs> that it's like you're not like learning how to of play course. a salsa. You know what I mean? Well,
1: have you ever thought about why you got so good and you were so inspired when it when it started out? Uh...
0: I mean, I don't know if I ever got so good, but, um, uh,
1: I mean, I, I think about this all the time. Time, like, I mean, you know, like I was spending. You mean the the amount of yeah, time you yeah, had, or
0: not the amount of time yeah. I had? The like what you yeah the dedicate. amount of time I I decided to dedicate to playing. So like, you know, I was playing so, six, eight, ten hours a day. Like when I was in college for a solid three years, I was practicing
1: eight hours a day. So. Yeah, that's insane. Well, and when you're traveling ground, when you're covering that much ground, like you make so many observations and you eventually it's like a meditation. You stop thinking and you just play, Mm -hmm. right? You don't overthink because you have a limited amount of time. The other thing I think what happens when you're younger and more of a beginner to an intermediate player is there's not a lot of negative noise. There's no feedback, not from your own brain, not from the people around you. It's like the same reason I, Victor Wooten makes his great analogy in his book, the music lesson about why is it that, you know, we learn to speak, we, we gather all the words and language we need by the time we're five years old to communicate. And his reason is that, you know, everyone around you is encouraging you an adult, you know, doesn't say, what do you mean? Goo goo. gag?" Right. Don't say that. That doesn't mean anything. You get a goo goo gag back in the same mm-hmm. response, you know, in the same tonality and it's encouragement And, you know, uh, man, I'm just so into the psychology of learning, as you may be able to tell at this point. But uh, that is something that we cannot forget, like all that judgment, all that. You know, it doesn't matter how much time you have. If you want to make progress, stop judging yourself. Stop overthinking, you know, how good you're playing, because really you have everything you need. You always have. It's just whether or not you're satisfied yourself with the Mm -hmm. way you sound.
0: It's interesting to to think of it that way. I mean, like I always hear the uh, the the analogy of when do you, you know, how long do you give a baby to walk, right? And you don't say after like four months, you're like, ah, eh, you know what, maybe this walking thing isn't for you. And right. you know, and and I think that that we do that as as musicians too, where like we work on something for a little while and and we don't get it or. You know, it doesn't feel right or doesn't sound right. And then we have all these negative thoughts, like you said, and then we either give up or, or let us let ourselves go into some, some, you know, negative headspace or, or whatever the case may be. Um, But do you, so you, you had mentioned like why I thought I got, I made so much, I made, covered so much ground in a short amount of time. Do you, do you think that's what it is? Do you think it's like not the, uh. There's not a lot of negative noise. It's not everyone is is rooting you, rooting for you. And then, so where does the negative stuff start to come in?
1: Well, I mean, if you're take take the idea of a beginner versus the idea of a professional who just played in front of ten thousand people. Like, if you're up on that stage, you you yourself have have expectations. You have high standards. You know, if if one note is off or flamed, you think I shouldn't mm-hmm. be up here. Or, I, you know, everybody heard that. Not just the one person in the room, the 10,000 people in the room. And then the other millions that saw the video on YouTube. Do you think that's high expectations for yourself,
0: or do you think that's an imposter syndrome?
1: For me personally? uh, I, no, I never feel, if if what you're asking is, do I feel like an imposter when I Mm -hmm. grew up? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't, honestly, not too much. It's, if I... If I don't play exactly what the way that I want to play on a given night, especially if there's professionals in the room that I respect and trust out in that audience watching me, knowing exactly what I'm doing. Like, if I don't have a good night, um, it's not, I can't say I walk away feeling like super proud, but I walk away feeling like, all right, I just I'm humbled. I'm like, I got some more right. work to do. This is why I continue to practice. This is why I will take. When I when I work on things, I'm I'm trying to stack one block at a time. Like, if it's a flam, I'm just working on the left side, not the right side, or the right side, not the left. So every time I leave a show, I don't like hang my head super low, like because of the pressures of being a professional musician. But none of that dialogue, nothing I just said in 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 the past minute has anything to do or enters the brain of a beginner or someone in the room for the first time or a baby learning to talk or learning to crawl or walk or anything. It's just pure fun, pure joy. So does it that does. answer your question? It I kind of. Got, how okay. do you
0: think that we can get I, uh, back to that point after you've been playing for five, six, 10, 12, 15, 20 years? How, how can, how do you have a suggestion of how people can get to that to stop being so, because I don't think we should stop being critical yeah. of ourselves, right? like
1: no 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 for sure no i if you if you stop being critical i mean you still have to work towards improvement mm-hmm. right you still i mean this is why i think teachers are good for people or or just friends or peers that you get together and drum with if we're if we're keeping it and drumming and not other endeavors um but for me the the way that i make progress is the way that i could see it and chart it is by just taking little bites you know just small exercises. so here's an example like i i have been um taking lessons when i can online with a guy named stephen McWarder, who just won the his 10th world solo drumming championship hmm. and he lives he's a scottish drummer he lives in uh in scotland and his like technique his approach is is mind-blowing of course he's not a drum set player doesn't have the, you know, he can't do what I do on the drum set. He'll be the first to admit that. But his ears and eyes are watching what I do whenever I execute or play. Um, he picks and points things out that are, and, and sort of tells me, you know, explains them in a way that I, I had never thought of. So we might work on a single rudiment or a single measure or an exercise in, you know, working towards a larger chart or goal or page or something but we've been working on the same score for, for you know what they call in scottish music a drum score for i would say off and on for two years and all we're doing is picking apart how i can better execute all of the movements the dynamics really get into the field of music um, the culture and placement and economy of motion and stick mm-hmm. heights and uh just so many little detail of things and so for the the guy that has a poster of Dave Grohl and Nirvana's wall, like at this point, that person listening to this podcast has glazed over and could right. give a shit. Um, but for me, when you ask how we can get back to that point, you know, that place of the beginner's mind and like being inspired and not too judgmental, the way that I've gotten back to that place is to challenge myself in ways that are outside of my normal role. In other words, I'm not trying to sit down and play a better Mm -hmm. backbeat. I'm trying to be inspired in another area that articulates my hands and makes me feel like I'm making progress so that when I do sit down to do the things I've done for the last 30 years, they're that much more confident. They feel that much better because I'm thinking about it in a different way, in a different light. That's why they say, you know, athletes should Mm cross-train. You know, you don't want to just be have blinders on and just focus on the one thing that you do not in my mind i think you need to draw from other areas just like if you're a writer you need to read other books you need to read other authors you can't just lock yourself in a cabin and do your own thing Mm -hmm.
0: i i think that for creativity in general too just if you know if you're a drummer you should either maybe learn how to take pictures or learn how to play a different instrument or or go see art or read or or you know, just to expand our minds and and get us thinking about different things and and figuring out how we can we can approach that uh, or we can approach our instrument that way with different creativity what do you think this and this is a hard question, but it made me think about it when you were saying about about athletes and about and working with different people and perfecting your playing and things like that what What do you think is the difference between a good drummer and a great drummer?
1: Um, I think, oh boy, a good drummer and a great drummer. I think great drummers are there is something next level about their sound and feel and approach, and they're very, very humble like they they don't they're not selfish players they they refuse to acknowledge the greatness that you know the world is 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 bestowing them it, they just Aaron Spears comes mm-hmm. to mind Aaron is an incredible drummer super humble wants to come out and see a show of a really you know simple approach and loves it like just dies like applauds up and down and he, I don't know I it's a tough question because good and greater Boy, I got to think about this one. Um, I'm trying. I I'm trying to think of who even I would qual- like say is a good drummer versus great. Right. You know, like I don't. I don't know if I discern the two necessarily. I just I I I see and hear and listen to great drummers. Good drummer to me is someone that is maybe still developing, mm-hmm. and in a good position, and plays you know selflessly for the music. And uh, ah, it's a tough question. No one's really put it. Like if you look way. at somebody
0: like John Bonham or Steve Gadd or Steve Jordan or, or Aaron Spears or, you know, someone like that, what, what is it that makes them great? You know? And I think about this a lot, like, I go ahead.
1: Okay. You may just start your edit here. No, <laughs> there, there's no edits. There's no, we
0: it. just roll with it. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you just adjusted look, yourself the in the chair people. though. <laughs>
1: I did look the difference between a good drummer and a great drummer for me is a good drummer can play anything um, and sound like anybody. And the difference in a great drummer is a drummer that can play any anything and only sounds like themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't sound like anybody else. They're unmistakable. So when you hear them, you can use just their first name or just their last name. You can say Gad. You can say Vinny. You could say Erskine, you can say Pierre, you can say Bonham, you can say Elvin, you can say Tony, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Those are great drummers because no one else sounded like them or sounded Mm -hmm. like them. Uh, Good drummers, maybe you can't tell. Maybe when you listen to them, you're like, hey, you know, this sounds a lot like Matt Chamberlain, but it might also be Aaron Sterling. Um, or it could be, yeah, I mean, you just go down the list of, uh, I mean, and Chamberlain sounds like Chamberlain to me when I right. hear him. Um, Zach Danziger sounds like Zach, Mark Gillian sounds like Mark, but I could, I could also name what I consider clones who are good drummers, but they're, they don't sound unique mm-hmm. enough. And that's always been a goal. I'm yours, not right? going to name them. I've, yeah. So my, every time I sat down on my drum set, in the time, so I started playing snare drum at, in sixth grade, eleven years old. But I didn't get a drum set until I was fourteen. Every time I sat down, I made it a goal to sit down and play something that I have, that I had never heard anyone else play. Like the first goal was like, what kind of beat, given the shape of this drum set and these sounds, or whatever I want to put on top of the heads, or however I want to hold the sticks, how can I play something that doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard? How did you and know at that age that know that was that, the
0: goal to sound like yourself?
1: Uh, I don't know. It wasn't – It. Was, I really didn't think about it in this meta way back then. I just was inspired. That was my personal challenge. Like how can I come up with this really cool thing, not in 4-4 but in 6-4, that involves acrostic and muting the floor tom with my right hand in between – I mean I just wanted to be different. Mm-hmm. That's all. But – So what I did is I I tried to be different for the first, I would say, 10 years of my life and play weird shit and pieces of metal on top of my drums. And then I got in a band that asked me to maybe play something that they could follow. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got in a band uh, that was asking for different styles of music, things that were uncomfortable for me. And then I got in Death Cab. And Death Cab was like, look, we have a job to do. Like, We make records and we go on tour and we do this for people. And our songs get played on the radio. So all that weird stuff you're doing, let's see if we can take away some of those accents, play it a little straighter, and then we'll have a song. Cool? Cool. Hmm. So Death Cab really did a great job of focusing my approach, I think, to being more accessible. And at the same time, I was like, all right, guys, I'll play your... I'll we'll we'll go your way and I'll take away my accents and I'll just plow through the chorus and I'll not do the fill that I want to do and I'll make this just a boom boom bop but I'm going to try and sneak in with every song and every record some other layers underneath that you're not picking up on until the record's done (laughs) and then that way I'll get my unique voice out in the world and so over the years I feel like I've been trying to at least on every album play at least one or two songs that are a little bit, dare I say, dangerous for the typical singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. And not saying that you know, Band or Death Cab is a typical singer-songwriter band. They like all kinds of music. Um, they're very adventurous guys. But I really want some nugget in there to be the root of my childhood challenge. Like, how can I present or frame or color this drum part with something that's a little left or a little outside or, you know, just makes people scratch their head or say, huh. And that has been my goal um, all along. But thankfully, like I said, I got in a band situation where I couldn't just be weird. I had to be, I mean, I love I love Dave King. Mm. Dave King is one of my favorite drummers of all time. He's a great YouTube show, too. But I couldn't do Dave. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. I'm in tears watching that guy all the time, every time he opens his mouth. Um, and I'm in tears with joy watching him play. Um, but I can't do that with my band and make songs that are going to be on the radio. And Dave may be like, well, that's fucking dumb. Why don't you just, you know, play how you want to play? And that's, I could, but I've made a choice to try and straddle the line between being creative and being uh, accessible to mm-hmm. the masses. So, like I said, if, if you're someone who really l- listens to my playing, you'll hear a characteristic beat it's pretty easy to stomp out and clap but then you'll hear these other layers that are a little more complex and to me that's my painting that that is my approach that is my my way of attempting to be a great drummer and not just Mm -hmm. a good drummer and to be unique
0: reminds me of that jeff peccaro uh i forget the name of that dvd
1: or oh i got it i'll go i'll go over yeah i have it too and i forget what it's called
0: um Anyway, it's not
1: just as, just as a fun exercise, though, I'm going to walk over here and just read you my off the spines of my I DVD like collection. Has anyone done that? They have not. Let's show? do it. Okay, should we go back to yeah. VHS?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: I don't know, but the Jeff Beccaro DVD is uh, just titled "Self." Jeff got that's it. I, don't, I actually I don't have, I have the, the
0: DVD. DVD. I have the VHS of that. So.
1: I got Steve Gad up close in session. Um, Danny grabbed the language of drumming. We have some, uh, who's this right here? Danny Gottlieb, yeah. the all-around drummer, parts one and part two. Joe Morello and Danny Gottlieb. Jeff Queen, playing mm-hmm. with sticks. If you're a drum corps guy. Billy Ward, big time. Steve Jordan, Such the groove is here. Like one of the favorite. best. So good. So that's, yeah, that's, that's my wheelhouse. I love the groove.
0: The, the ret-
1: uh Trust Your Ears. Jeff Ochiltree, just mm-hmm. on tuning because I want to know more about bottom sound. Steve Smith, I mean, classic drummers, all the the whole Hudson right. Library, Buddy Rich stuff. But then, I mean, it goes on and on and on. I I mean, I could keep going down the list. Of course, I've JoJo, Keith Carlock. Um, I mean, there's so many great resources out there. Uh, you gotta mess. Have you everywhere. checked out Benny's
0: uh, Art and Science of Groove?
1: That's of course. so good. Oh, Benny's a good friend. Such man that that dvd is really good benny is uh next level He can do benny is beyond great um he is super humble always makes time for me if i on tour and pass through you know hamburg um i'll track him down and and say hey can we hang out in your practice space can you give me a lesson and he's like of course if he's in town and we'll hang out and we'll play and Um, always been there for me. Uh, and I just, my whole approach and my roots and curriculum have been his approach without him knowing it or me knowing it for years and years Hmm. and years. So the place I studied, uh, when I first took serious lessons was the Seattle drum school and that the Steve Smith who lives in Seattle, not the Steve Smith journey, C Smith, but, um, has developed this curriculum that's amazing that I still use and still teach Uh, This whole grid system of independence and rhythmic calibration Mm -hmm. and permutations. And anyway, Benny was doing, Benny came out with language drumming and that whole thing. And it was like, wow, this is, this is coming from the same island here. I'm, I'm all about you. And uh, we hit it off from that. I think
0: he said it was the first DVD that was ever released, ever, first drum DVD that didn't have any notation. Like there's no, there's nothing about notation in that whole in the whole DVD.
1: Didn't even pick up on that. It's all
0: like, it's all just feel. And I mean, you know, you've seen it, but
1: yeah, yo, yeah, no, I, yeah. And he's, that's to me, I could, I could learn from him with my eyes closed, you know, like such great feel. And when you're, and he's one of the best teachers, one of the best educators Mm -hmm. out there. I've been to a few of his, his camps that he's done and just been a fly on the wall. I've been to individual clinics and then like three day camps and watched him teach and everybody in the room feels good about their playing and their abilities and the progress they can mm. make given the amount of time he has for them, which is, I mean, he's a fantastic teacher. So anyone here, if anyone has the opportunity, even if it's for a flyout or a destination clinic, he's, he's next level teacher. He's done it for yeah. so long. Um, I think just the idea of teaching, like, a great player who spends a lot of time practicing. He spends a lot of time teaching and he knows mm-hmm. what he's doing. The Davy e. Leach is another guy who spends a ton of time teaching, is super observant and, and uh can really help just about yeah. out.
0: when he bought uh when oh. he bought his house in what Portland or somewhere. He bought a, he bought a house right. and I texted him. I was like, Did you move out of it? he's like, I should have never bought this house. He was like, Everyone thinks I moved out
1: of LA." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, I, I still live in. LA. I don't know. if you... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you get it straight. But I think Portland's been a great place for him to go and and mm-hmm. reset. You know, from yep. time to time, like we all need to reset. And because I know that he teaches a ton, I uh, I think that's an important part of every endeavor is is the the detox. You know, you have seasons of training and you have seasons of yep. rest. And I think that that Portland spot is a good season of rest yeah. for Dave, even though he goes there to rest and he winds up at Revival Drum Shop. <laughs> yeah.
0: so. Well, it seems like it seems like uh, something he would do. Uh, one of the things that before we got on the tangent about the DVDs, uh, w- when you were talking about having these layers of things happening sort of undertones uh in in what you're playing reminded me of that jeff Picaro dvd where he was talking about like okay i'm playing this groove but inside of this groove i'm sort of like slinking a pulse through it or i'm slinking some other theme or some other some other sort of like motive that's going on or motif i should say underneath of like the primary groove and I remember seeing that and that was like the first time I'd ever really understood that you could play something, but also be playing something else, else sort of like below the surface. And it seems to me like that's the stuff that, that you're saying that you you'll do in a lot of these death cab songs that like, yeah, I'm playing the groove, but there's some other sort of like intangibles happening b- below the surface.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, i i think of it as like interior design like you're not gonna walk into a room and see one color one texture Mm -hmm. and to me there needs to be bold statements bold colors you know bold places to sit and hang your hat but it's all the other stuff that complements the room you know and makes it the place where a singer wants to be uh like for instance uh, uh, layering aside which i am a big fan of um placement is huge right i never want to step on lyrics. if i'm going to play a fill as i think fills should be played you just want to punch through the holes you want to do the right setups you want to do the right so you want to give the right support so you know in a very traditional sense you could the you could say well that's the bass drum following the bass player that's maybe that's a given maybe it's not maybe you want to compliment maybe you want to play around the bass player Maybe that's what's more, you know, fitting Mm -hmm. for the song. But I do that same thing with every instrument that I hear. So specifically the vocals. um, So lyrics are a big deal, you know, in in terms of, you know, people should hear them. You don't ever want to cover up a lyric. It's like you ask if you if you come up an important statement and I start talking over the top of you, like, come on, it's not the right approach. (laughs)
0: It'll sound like a drummer's resource uh, interview.
1: (laughs) Right. Maybe. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I think I would rather be a listener than a talker in most situations. Mm -hmm. um, And especially behind the drum set. Uh, Almost to the point of like being fearful. Like I don't want to do fills. I want to just sit in a great groove and just hang out there. Hey, are you
0: tired of coded drum heads chipping and flaking after only a few hours of play? Tired of premature denning and breakage? Well, welcome to the next generation of coated drum heads. Evans' new UV coating technology. They're made with proprietary inks and a new uv light curing process, so these heads are able to withstand strikes, brush strokes, and rim shots better than anything on earth. That means you get to play heads that sound and look fresh for longer, and you can spend less time tuning and modifying and changing heads. They're available in one-ply and two-ply, as well as Evans' proprietary hydraulic and EMAD systems. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com. So I've been checking out the new Sonar SQ-1s. And let me tell you, these drums are sick. They're made out of birch. All right. Why you ask? Because Birch has balanced low, mid and high ranges. So they sound really, really good in this recording studio. Plus they sound great live. Now, this is some really cool stuff. They have a sound stabilizer system and it's actually based on concepts applied in the automotive industry and it's rubber to metal so that you're getting complete isolation from the shell not only that the colors that they come in also resemble high-end automobiles so they're all matte lacquer finishes these kits are insane and not only that they sound amazing to learn more about the sq1 series go to sonar.com All of the things that we're talking about, specifically about colors, textures, listening versus, you know, speaking or or not stepping on the bass player's toes or the or the uh, singer's toes or, you know, not overplaying and all that stuff. What is the what is the way that we can get there as drummers? Because it's such an intangible. It's not like sitting down and playing, you know, paradiddles at 150 beats per minute. Right. How do you start to go down that road and how do you start to learn because I, I you know, cause I remember when I started to learn this stuff and I was like, wow, this is like this totally opens up so many different doors that I never even knew or I, I thought playing drums was just playing a beat. Um but then how did how did you practice that stuff or how do you practice that stuff to really develop that muscle?
1: Um some of it was just like feedback from listening to myself, like recording. Uh some of it was experimentation with uh, playing overplaying, underplaying, uh, some of it was a visualization of a landscape like dynamic consider like a dynamic mm-hmm. landscape like if you're driving a car over some rolling hills what does your engine sound like when you start to go up the hill versus when you go down the hill and you take your foot off the gas some of it was like thinking about that exact approach playing the hi-hat like what would it sound like if my hi-hat was driving had sort of a question and answer a hill rise, a hill fall, like within my eighth notes or my sixteenth notes, or over the course of my accents. Like if I've got a certain accent pattern in the hi-hat. Like there's a Death Cab song called What Sarah Said. It's a perfect example of, of that. My drum phrase is eight bars long, not two bars long. Now, I had evolved through over, over the course of those eight bars. So each two bars, it, it does like a question and answer. And the accenting pattern does like a crescendo, decrescendo. And to me, that is an interesting layer. But no, you know, that's the kind of thing that's felt and mm-hmm. heard or maybe heard by some drummers. That's, so it was my experimenting with those sort of pic- pictorial sort of landscapes on the drum set. But a big part of my, I think, deciding on placement and like how to support and where to play and what not to play was simply asking people around me um, from a very young age, from the time I was 15 and played my first show doing a Paul Simon review with a local singer-songwriter and having to learn 50 ways to leave your lover and late in the evening and and you know doing my best to woodshed those Mm -hmm. parts and then going and play them in rehearsal and then asking the guitar player and the singer or the, the guy that was playing Paul Simon, like, how does this feel to you? Like, am I anywhere close to the mark? Of course he was just being nice. Cause there's no way a 15 year old kid, <laughs> you know, listening to Gad right. for a few hours can go play. Especially he played evening. that
0: part but, with four yeah. drumsticks too.
1: Well, I, did I you? did too. I nice. mean, I, I learned that in a, in a drum shop and, and I, I can play the part still to this day. That's awesome. Um, before I got Steve Gad up close, um, but I can never sound like Steve, but I still wanted the feedback. Mm -hmm. So every time i played with somebody, even still in my band, like I I do a take and I go into the control room and I say, what do you guys think? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? Is there anything I can do? Who, you know, let's, let's go around the room. We got four more. I'll do four more takes. Let's, I want to do what each of you wants to hear. And then I may try those approaches and there could be, you know, bass player has an idea and it's like no not happening and you know singer has an idea i thought that was going to work but now after hearing it that's not the right Mm -hmm. approach and then we go back to my approach and it's a version of what i wanted to do and what they wanted to do and we meet in the middle and i sound good playing it because it's part me and part them and all of a sudden we've made an agreement and that's how I arrive at a lot of the parts that I play is it's a, it's a discussion, mm-hmm. you know, uh, between whoever I'm with in the studio, the producer, my bandmates, even the engineer or the assistant standing in the corner that has a suggestion. I've never been so egotistical that I haven't been willing to try what someone wants to hear.
0: I, I wonder, I always wonder about feedback because I think it takes, I think it takes a lot of humility to ask for feedback. And that, he, and a lot of times our ego gets in the way. I'm big on, I'm big on recognizing ego, however it manifests itself, particularly because I I recognize it in myself. Uh, and I think a lot of times we think ego is like strutting around, acting like you're the man, but, but a lot of it is like asking for feedback. And I think sometimes that is hard for you. Was it ever, was it ever a challenge to ask for feedback or was it always, always something that you did because you just wanted to get better.
1: I can tell you the exact day and turning point when I decided that asking for feedback was important. Interesting, And that is, that is, I was, uh, maybe 16 and I was recording with a band doing original songs in Bellingham. And we went into the studio it was my first recording studio session, a place called binary recording studio. And, um, I started out, and the piano player, who was much older than me, and I mean, he was a jazz pianist in town, he was great, his name was Bill McDonough, still around town, still plays, he let me know that they were going to bring in um, this guy named Doug Anderson to come and track on a few songs, and I was like, what? How? I thought I was the drummer in this band, and he's like, well, he just he's just going to give it a shot, and... Thankfully, at that time, I had just read some article in Modern Drummer about being replaced in the studio. And the article, I can't remember who wrote it, but thank God they wrote it because they were like, this is an opportunity for you to live. Hmm. This is an opportunity for you to, rather than be offended, sit in a control room or talk to the drummer and find out what it is that allowed them to get that gig. And so I was totally all about it. And I sat in the room. And I like literally on the floor next to the drum set and watched him play these tunes and saw how much authority and confidence and just experience mm-hmm. the guy had compared to the me being whatever, 16 years old and or maybe 17 anyway. And I I got it. I understood it. And what he did is he asked a lot of questions about approach and whether he should, you know, play the verse this way or that way or the chorus. I just remember being there being a dialogue. And it wasn't like the guy just came to sit down and do his part. I don't even know if he's still playing the drums anymore. Um and we you know lost touch right. years ago, but that was that was a salient moment. That was like a, oh, oh my god, this is like this is the way you need to be if you if you want to work if you want to be a musician. So, I am you know, I am fine with asking questions, I am fine with taking advice. That being said, if you only try to take other people's advice and not follow your gut for what's needed for a song or a part mm. of a performance, you, you're going to miss right. the mark. So it's a, it's a little bit of a dance it's a back and forth because I firmly believe that the best grooves that you know we've all heard over, over the last 100 mm. years, those beats, those grooves, those performances, whether, whether you're a drummer, a singer, or whatever guitar player, piano player those are things that the musician believed in there was a moment where they were playing and they they believed what they were doing and they were honest and that's what transcended and came through the speakers and everybody high-fived and that's what Mm -hmm. made the record Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean there's also the happy accidents where like the singer walks in and says i don't know i thought that sounded terrible and everyone in the room is like crying that happens too but I think for the most part as a drummer for me I have to believe what I'm playing and if it's a combination of what I feel everyone wants to hear including myself then that's what's going to make the record and the song. Mm-hmm.
0: There's you tell, you telling that story reminds me of so I grew up uh my parents on a restaurant and and so I worked with you know my mom and my dad and and particularly my dad I was always like the contrarian so like anything he said I would just disagree with him right for whatever reason. <laughs> for whether I thought that he was right or I was right, I would always, I would always try to disagree with him. And I noticed that I started doing that as a player too. And it, and it, I don't know why I was like, I felt like I, again, ego, but like, I felt the need to be right all the time. And, uh, and once I finally got over that, still never really got over with my dad, but once I got over as a player, uh, Like it just it was everything became a lot easier. I got more work like people were, you know, people were uh, more willing to work with me and I never even realized it at the time. But then once it happened uh, that but like like you're saying, like sticking to your guns. Yeah, of course, sticking to your guns. But a lot of times I would just be like, no, I don't want to do that because I think we should do this only because it was my idea. It wasn't necessarily the right idea or the best idea. You know, I think that's like something that, that we all need to be aware of, like to not, to not try to try to push this agenda just because it's our agenda.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no great company in the world that has, has had the mentality of like my way or the highway. Right. You know, collaborations, collaborations are what, you know, build mm-hmm. cities. Um, yeah. I, it, it, hmm think about it all the time and I I don't want to come across like I'm overthinking it Mm -hmm. you know like you you can spend too much time in your head uh trying to please everybody in the room um so I you know you have to know yourself every musician needs to know their self for instance I know I believe that often the best uh approaches are the first impressions and maybe what you need to do is make sure and record that first take and go down the path of throwing the kitchen sink and doing all you can, but then go back and revisit that first impression and see what it was, you know, you or I, I or somebody tried to do before they started thinking about all the other yeah. options.
0: hmm I think Steve Gad said that a lot of times, he was like, the first take is usually the one. And maybe the... <laughs> if you're a good <clears throat> player. Right, right, of course. I'm like, yeah, because you're Steve Gad. Um, but, but the idea that, you know, maybe the second one is if you didn't listen to the first take, but the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh, they usually, in my experience anyway, they usually don't get better, right? Cause you're analyzing it or you're trying, and then you start to like yeah. trying to put a, a square peg into a round hole. And do you experience the same thing where you find that the earlier takes are the better ones?
1: Oh yeah. Well, what I find is, is they, they sound better because with the more the more tension i have in my in my brain the more tension comes out of my mm-hmm. feet. So like i was i was listening to i was comping together something earlier this morning and you know i didn't play i was playing to an artist without a click. Just playing there was vocal and piano. And there was no click and uh they might have played to a click but they might not have or their time was a little, you know, Push and pull, and it was a really slow, swung-out six thing, and it was hard. I mean, we all know that playing slow and landing everything, like sticking the time, is way more difficult than trying to play something Mm -hmm. faster. So, uh, because all that hang time, right? So, I'm I'm listening to these these. I did six passes to try different things, and my sound was better on pass one, but my playing was not as solid. So, by the time I got to six, I was totally on point in the pocket and but the sound was like either overconfident or just playing mm-hmm. harder maybe i don't know what but what i what i picked up on is like how in the first take i was just listening more that's why i'm playing yeah. quieter and my bass my bass drum sounded better and you know my ride cymbal had more open airy float to it it was more it, it painted a better picture basically tonality in terms of mm-hmm. tonally so I had to find that middle ground in in putting together these ideas, which is which is really just for a demo. But I had to find that middle ground, and it, it was like using my ears to to go inside of right. my brain, yeah. if that makes sense. If that's not too no, no, meta, no, no, not. you know. But like I was I was hearing how I was thinking, right. if that makes sense. And it was a it was like wow, this is cool. Well, what I've learned here today is to not play more than six (laughs) takes or maybe what what gad was saying like i don't want to i would rather get up have a cup of coffee or go walk the dog and come back and sit and do it again so that i i am listening and not just becoming more and more of my own Mm -hmm. audience in this Mm -hmm. process i want to be front and center for the person who i'm playing for the song singer whatever and I, i think that that there's a a real acute audio perception that happens early on that doesn't happen mm-hmm. later.
0: You'd mentioned about about getting too far inside of your head about things and and overthinking things, but then the other side of it that I want I want to talk about quickly is is mindset – I remember reading that you were saying that when you were younger, you saw all these bands coming out of Seattle and it made you sort of think about being a professional musician. And you said, hey, sort of if these guys can do it, then maybe I can do it as well. And then we were talking about collaborations and being around the right people. How important to you – how important do you think it is, one, to to really develop your mindset in the right way? <clears throat> Excuse me. And two, to be around the right people to make sure that they're reinforcing that mindset that, that you're trying to build for yourself.
1: I mean, the mindset is paramount. I mean, you, you have to, you have to set goals and go after them and sometimes make sacrifices. Um, and in terms of putting yourself next to the right people, like, look, if I was a metal guy, like I would go hang out with, um, mastodon and slipknot like that's where i would go i wouldn't I wouldn't go to a jazz club and say hey i'm a metal guy can i sit right. in know, i mean that's the obvious but it that trickles down to the radio stations you listen to, the publications you read the websites you go to for record reviews digging into the you know the album liner notes you know like finding curated playlists that are um you know music that you gravitate towards and finding out who those bands are going to see them live trying to meet people on stage like it is easy today to find people and to to live in their world it really is and if i'm going to work for x artist or go pursue working with x artists i'm going to do all the research i can around that person's catalog and what they're doing and the records they're listening to and inspired by so that if I do get that chance to sit in the same room with them, or make music, or begin a dialogue, that I'm all that I already have things in common with mm-hmm. them. So, to me, that's all part of the big picture of mindset and approach. Um, you know, in my own demoing process, like for my band, something that's beneficial to me is to to think about the tempos and the sort of vehicles that my bandmates use to demo their songs and make sure that i'm maybe changing my approach slightly but let's just say singer loves to write at 85 to 90 then i'm gonna send him demo beats in that range and then maybe a few extras to stretch his you know to challenge his uh mm-hmm. his approach but I-, I think that you know the more you can learn about a situation going into it, the more research you can do, uh, the better off you're going to be. It's just be prepared. That's all it is. It's just being prepared. Um, and, you know, in regards to being in Seattle, moving down to Seattle when I was 19 years old to be closer to the bands that were quote-unquote making it, like starting to be heard on the radio, the Sound Gardens and the, the Pearl Jams and the Nirvanas and the, and the Mud Honeys and the Screaming Trees and the whole Seattle grunge explosion, I knew that... If I wanted to be close to those bands, the best place I could wind up was at a music store in a drum shop, just so that I could be there when they came in for sticks Mm -hmm. and heads, and that was my goal, and that's what I chose to do. And I, you know, I met a lot of people in that situation over the course of just a year, one year's time, Um, and I also learned a little about the culture, you know, of Bands and where people were gigging, and you know where they hung out and where they practiced, where those rehearsal places were. And I mean, I, I I don't think it's that difficult. If you want to make music, if you're really into electronic music, then find out who the DJs are and you know reach mm-hmm. out to them. Uh, I have always made carved my path that way. If I want to learn more about an instrument or an endeavor or a path or something that's new to me, I go straight to the top and try there. And if I can't get the top person. Then I, I, I try the next Mm -hmm. best thing.
0: It's, you'd be surprised. Well, you probably wouldn't be surprised, but it's interesting uh, through all these, these conversations that I've had, how many people did the same thing where they're like, well, I I knew that I wanted to be in this, you know, in this vicinity. So I got a job like at some random place because, because I knew that these guys would come in there. Or I got a job bartending at this place because (laughs) there was bands there and I wanted to be in that scene. Or I got a job at a at a comic book store because I knew, you know, there was, there was people who were coming in there that I wanted to meet. And it's like just getting in that proximity. And if you are a, you know, a relatively cool human being, then you can start to get into that circle. There's no like, there's no secret to getting into these circle. There's no secret handshake that you need to learn, you know?
1: No, no it's, it's called walk that right. way. It's like, go, go there, go to that spot, meet these people. Yeah. See what it's all about. Agree. I mean, it's not, that's the formula. That's totally it. If you're going to sit back and complain in your own if like, I never wanted to be the world's uh, like the best drummer that I've heard. Mm-hmm. I wanted other people to hear me. I, I needed to get out and play around. Um, You need to, you need to get out there. I, it blows my mind how many people call me and want lessons and they want to be a better musician. They want to become a better drummer, and the first thing I ask is, "Are you playing with anybody? You, you know, are you just are you practicing at home, or what's going on? Like, are you applying what you're learning? Because the best way to become great versus good is to play with people and to mm-hmm. play the music. And if you're not out there, then it's it's not going to happen yeah. for you. And I I honestly feel like I suffer if, in between album cycles, I stay I stay at home and I don't go try and make music with anybody else the biggest periods of growth for me in my career have been when i go uh, i'll do like a long intense death cab tour or album cycle and i'll go make a record with somebody Mm -hmm. else and it's like boom leaps and bounds i'm taking what i learned from being on the road and being in shape and then being challenged in a totally new and different Mm -hmm. environment whole new whole new stress situation go for it, you know. I think
0: that's the mark On of the a good clock, player too, building. you know, like if you look at somebody like Jimmy Chamberlain that he comes home from the Smashing Pumpkin oh. store and then he's
1: like, oh, I'm going to go
0: play in this, you know, this jazz trio for a four night stand at this
1: place or whatever. That is exactly why yeah. he's great. And if, I don't think he would be as great if he, if he didn't, you know, draw from those other types of music and and um, pressure situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, they say, you know, I, I read this, I can't remember what book it was in. Um, it might have been in the Talent Code, or it might have been some other study where they talked about pilots and what makes the the best pilots, and you know how most crashes on commercial airlines are human error, and the ones that crash, the pilots that crash, aren't the guys that were in combat that flew 160 missions. They were the ones that only flew in the flight simulator. Hmm. You Know and a lot of times they were also the pilots from cultures where there wasn't a lot of bravado or confidence, mm-hmm. and more cultures of taking orders. And Is that in the tipping point? I make that analogy, it might be the tipping point, it might be a Gladwell thing. I remember, could I, be you can reference that one, but you might, it might be. We, I'm sure we've read a lot, yeah. Of
0: but go ahead, sorry, I, I was like thinking but, out loud. Sorry,
1: no, it's. Yeah, 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 it might be. You're, you might be right. I, I, I'm a sucker for any book that has anything to do with the psychology. Mm-hmm. of All about it. But the point is, is that if you make that analogy and bring it over to the world of music and drum set, like, if all you do is the flight simulator or your practice space, <laughs> and then you're in charge of a, a 777 flight, you know, with 450 passengers or playing Madison Square Garden.
2: <laughs> yeah. Good
1: luck, yep. dude. Good luck whereas if you you've flown the combat missions and you you know you've you've operated analog controls and you've you've had shitty monitor mixes and broken down buses and vans that you know have squeaky brakes and sleepless nights and insane travel and you get up on that festival or you're in Madison Square Garden it's easy mm-hmm. so it's a war of attrition and you just got to pay your dues Sweat equity, it's all, I mean, it's a 10,000 hour, but it's not. For some people, it's 5,000 super stressful yeah. hours. And for some people, it's 15,000, you know, kind of difficult mm-hmm. hours. So no matter who you are, like, you I don't know. There are anomalies. There are people that become overnight successes that only made music in their bedroom. And they have this natural thing and the whole world hears it, loves it. It resonates everywhere. But for most people, you got to do the stress testing, you know, big time, and you got to get out of the simulator. You got to get, up, you got to put yourself in those places with mm-hmm. those people, working at the restaurant, like you said, or, um, you have to interface. Man, I sound like a preacher. Broke no, uh, this, but is... all that, all, all that is, I wouldn't be where I'm at if I didn't do all these things, you know. And at the same time, I have to maintain being a, a husband. And a father and a and a groundskeeper for my mm-hmm. home and a pet owner and you know someone that is willing to take the time to talk to the drummer's resource. Well,
0: I well I appreciate that. Uh, you you saying all these things, I feel like it need it constantly needs to be said and said again and reiterated over and over again because a lot of times I think people think, yeah, all right, you did all those things, I don't need to do those things or. That seems like a lot of work. I'm going to try to find an easier way to do it. And it's like, there is no easier way. You have, you can't go around it. You have to go through it. And that is, and every single time someone comes on here and says that, it just reinforces the fact that, look, there's no easy way to do this. There's no shortcut. You got to put in the work, you got to put in the time, you got to sacrifice the things that you need to sacrifice, and you got to grind it out until you arrive at the place that you want to arrive at. And then from there, you set new goals and keep going.
1: Absolutely. And I think about all the stuff you learn in the process, mm-hmm. all the little footnotes, all the little sidebars of, you know, nuggets of information that you're going to use down the road, or maybe that just the seed gets planted and later on you see it in in full growth and and actually reap the benefits. So Yeah, man. I mean I I also don't want to discourage anyone and think that they need to do everything that I've done over the course of thirty four years. Right? Like you can you can make something happen in a year's time if you're in the right place at the right time and you're willing. You could be in an overnight sensation success story and then from there you just need to make sure that you you stay in place right, right? you need to do the work to, uh, i've i've known some drummers that have have gotten sort of a gig unexpectedly and next thing you know it blows up and they find themselves touring you know to, they're playing 250 or more shows a year and their hands and their feet never learned basic form of technique and they're suffering greatly from it they have bad backs and hands and wrists and so if you find yourself in that position then you need to then you need to do the work so that you have a longevity mm-hmm. but it can't it, it happens a lot of ways man i mean i there's no one way to go about to the music business there's all kinds of avenues and aspects and, and ways to do it and i i still I still feel like a beginner through the whole thing. I mean, that's why I'm down here in my studio right now, looking around at this this stack of drums and this, this console in front of me right. and the piano to my left. And it's overwhelming, it really is. But as long as you take kind of, like I said, the small chunks, the little bites each day, the kind of things you could chart progress, you will find a momentum and um, be far more inspired and far more free so that when you do sit down and play with people, you're not overthinking. Uh God man, I really wish I'd put in the time mm-hmm. yesterday or last week or last year. You just know that you have put right. in the time and all this stuff is gonna
0: Yeah, amazing. I mean they always say you know what imagine where you'd be if you started a year ago. When you said you were going to start, yeah. you know.
1: Um <laughs> Right. Why why wait to why wait to tomorrow? Wait until tomorrow, which right. you could do today. Right.
0: So what are the last question? What are a couple of book recommendations that you have?
1: Well, I think Victor Wooten's book is really great music lesson. I mean, the talent code mm-hmm. is a great book. Um, one of my favorite books uh, is written by an Australian author named Stephanie Burns. And it's called practice strategies that cause musical improvement. And there's a lot of great info in there about just, the approach to practicing, uh, and she um, actually interviewed several um, people in the Scottish pipe band world who are great teachers, great educators. And again, this goes back to me um, studying with uh, Stephen McWhorter, the 10-time you know world champion solo drummer. He's interviewed in this book, and he hit me to it because she is one of his students. And she basically just interviews all these great teachers about how to teach. Like what, what, you know, what makes great teachers and great students? And it's laid out really simply. And it's not a very long book, uh, paperback. You can find it just about anywhere, but uh, that's one of my favorite books. The Talent Code, um, uh, The Tipping Point, The Inner Game of Music, uh, The Music Lesson by Victor Wooten, um, Flow, classic one, um, Choke. By Cian Belloc uh, Peak, another good book by Anders Erickson. Um, Stephen King on writing, hell that of a, is good a good book. book on the creative process. Really good one. Um, uh, man, trying to think of anything else. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's just the start of a reading. But I think, you know what? Jose Mendel's book. I got it right here. has yeah. a lot of such great Such a good book. Yeah, I mean, man, sit down before you practice and read a single page, and then go about mm-hmm. your practice. Take a break ten minutes in, read another page, practice. Some uh, the more. thing I love about that book, you can um, just
0: pick it up and, like you said, you can read one page because it's you know it's small little uh, pieces of yeah. oh, Stoic wisdom. It's well, really it's a really great book.
1: Jose, Jose is yeah, a smart is. guy. Um, yeah, I mean, there's my book list could go on and on. you know what? Another also really good book um, is The Artist's Way. By Julia Cameron. Um, that book uh, has the idea of what's called morning mm-hmm. pages. Uh, for anyone who hasn't read the book, have you uh, read it?
0: I feel like I've read parts of it because the, when you mentioned the morning pages, that reminded me. Or maybe I read it. Maybe I read an article about it. Um, it's about so like writing. Morning go pages. Ahead, is, you can it, talk about it more.
1: Yeah. In short, you just you you get out of bed and you just free form write. You no, know, don't worry about punctuation or anything. You just write. You empty your brain mm-hmm. of thoughts until you are done doing that. And then you just leave it. And that's sort of like just, you know, emptying right. the bucket. And then you sit down and your, your brain is free to not overthink anything or be distracted by any other threads that are running through any other open loops mm-hmm. as they've been called. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm a big, big reader and anything has to do with me search or psychology or an approach to creativity or, um, Learning the psychology of learning. Oh, greatest book. Uh, the um, the chess book, The Art of Learning by Josh Waiskin is excellent. And
0: what's it reminded me of the uh, other one? Uh, The Inner Game of Tennis is a great book.
1: The Inner Game of Music. The Inner Game of Tennis was written by Timothy Galway, but uh, The Inner Game of Music is Barry mm-hmm. Green, also with Timothy yeah. Galway. Uh, oh. Effortless Mastery, right, Kenny Warner, your New York New York yeah. native. I mean, all these books mm-hmm. are there. But, you know, you could read and read and read and read and read and try and align your thoughts with, with the thoughts of these masters or these master educators or students or however you want to put it. Just like you could practice Ben and Grab's book, you know, until you blew in the face every day for years. But the thing that I'm trying to remind myself is that you still need to find yourself in your thing. So there's a there's a, a book that Dave Eulich hit me to, who I'm sure somebody else hit him to, um, uh, uh, written by a samurai. And I can't think of the name of that one right now. Um, Seven Swords or something like that. I have to look it up. But um, the quote is, the way of the master does not follow other masters. Mm. I like it. And so when we, again, bring it back to that question of like, what's the difference between a great, a good and a great drummer. I don't think the great drummers follow anybody.
0: I agree with that.
1: I think they, they, they follow themselves. They listen internally and they, they play what they need to play.
0: I, I think that's a good way to good place to end it and a good place to keep people thinking that, you know, Sure, find find some inspiration from all of these people, but then you got to go out and do it yourself. There you have it, the one and only Jason McGurr. And for all the show notes, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 530. Also, don't forget to check out my other podcast if you're into that kind of thing. It's called Uncut with Nick Ruffini. And I interview creator of entrepreneurs about the scars and all practicalities of building a business around a creative pursuit. So we talk about all the, the zero to one stuff of how do you take an idea in your head and how do you get those ideas sort of out into the world and create something that is, that is sustainable or, or that's something that people would actually want to use or, or a service or a product or, or a band or whatever it is. So check that out. It's called uncut with yours truly Nick Ruffini here. And that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.